0: Hello and welcome to Daboo Talk, the podcast brought to you by Boots that ask the Daboo health and wellness questions so you don't have to. I'm your host Vogue Williams and today we're going to be tackling a subject close to my heart as a mum of three, the fourth trimester. This is a term commonly used to refer to the 12 weeks after giving birth, the time when after having just been through one of the most exciting and frightening physical experiences possible, you're handed a baby and some giant maxi pads and sent on your merry way. Congratulations! Yes, the fourth trimester can be an emotional rollercoaster, on top of which your body is trying to heal, which is a good time for a content warning. This episode will involve discussions around traumatic birth stories. Please do bear that in mind when choosing whether to listen. If you're affected by anything you hear, please see the show notes for available support services. I can assure you, though, that there will also be a lot of laughs involved in this episode, and that is because I am being joined by two brilliant guests, Firstly, Gemma Atkinson. You may know Gemma from Hollyoaks, Emmerdale, Strictly Come Dancing, CBBS, The Toddler Cub, her daily hits radio show, fitness inspired posts on Instagram or her two health and fitness books her most recent book The Ultimate Body Plan for New Mums went into great and oftentimes a little bit gross detail about the fourth trimester currently pregnant with her second child Gemma never shies away from smashing taboos around wellbeing joining Gemma is midwife mother and author of the modern Midwife's Guide to Pregnancy Birth and Beyond Marie Louise Marie runs an antenatal and postnatal classes and has a second book coming out later this year on the first 12 months of parenting like Gemma Marie is also currently pregnant with her second child. Welcome to Taboo Talk. Gemma, I'm going to start with you first. Uh, Congratulations on your second pregnancy. You're 38 weeks almost. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) So this is your second baby. You're going to have a little brother for your daughter Mia who was born in 2019. So we're here to talk about the fourth trimester and you have... um, You've obviously been there because you've had a baby. But speaking, first of all, about your birth story, it was it was quite traumatic for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of
1: I mean, in my head, I'd I'd said, oh, I want a water birth and I want relaxing music playing. And, you know, the whole kind of, you know, just kind of Zen type birth. And it turned out my waters broke on the second. Mia was born on the fourth and via emergency C-section. And then I had a postpartum hemorrhage about an hour or so later. So, yeah, it was completely the opposite to what I'd expected. And until I'd actually had a hemorrhage myself, I'd never even heard of them. I never thought it was something that happened. But then since speaking about my experience, they're so, so common. There's so many women who've experienced them, which has just blown my mind.
0: So your waters broke, which made you go to hospital, and then you were there for two days before Mia was born.
1: Yeah, well, they told me to well, waters broke, and they told me to stay at home for twelve hours. They said, "Well, mon-, you know, we'll monitor you on the phone. We'll keep checking in, and nothing was happening." And after that twelve-hour mark, they said you need to come in and we'll have a look. They they said it was kind of you're at more risk of an infection after that amount of time um, if yeah. if your waters have broke. So it was when I was in hospital, I had two sweeps. I kind of was told to go and walk around the car park, bounce on the ball, do everything I could. I
0: hate walking around. Kind it's the of, last thing you I want know,
1: to do. <laughs> it's the last thing. And it was so hot as well that summer. It was like the one we're having now. So we, we kind of tried everything and she just wasn't wanting to come out. So then they gave me yeah. the, um, I don't know the correct name for it, but it's like the artificial hormone, which induces labour. And I had that. And then labour started very quick. And I had two contractions and with every contraction, Mia's heart rate dropped to 40. And I was told the safe zone was between 110 and 160. So it was very, very low. Right. And that's when the decision was made. We're going to have to get her out via emergency C-section, which they did. And I remember the, 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 the doctor who performed the C-section, I remember her saying to me, I've got about seven minutes to get her out. She says, and it doesn't sound a long time. She said, but it is for me. She's like, so just don't worry about it. And I was thinking, yeah. seven minutes, that's that's not a lot of time to get me epidural in and, you know, the whole everything. And they told Gorka at that point, if the epidural didn't kick in quick enough, they would have to put me to sleep to get her out. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started panicking. And I started saying, please don't, I don't want to be asleep when she's born. Please just just do anything else but that. But thankfully, it kind of, it all worked out and Mia came out like this little tiny four pound ten, looked like a little uh-huh. bald chicken, bless her. Um, <laughs> but then I had the hemorrhage about an hour or so later while I was in the, uh, the, the side ward. So again, so, that kind I, of took us both away.
0: Yeah, so uh, Mia and you were okay after the C-section yes. initially? Yeah, then, initially so, well, we were fine. You were brought back to your room.
1: Yeah, and it was when we were in the room talking, me and Gorka, because I was still numb from the epidural, I couldn't feel myself bleeding. Yeah. And I was just sat up talking to him, and I suddenly... It was like a light switch, and I said to him, I feel really ill. And he was like, what yeah. do you mean? I said, I, just, I don't feel right. I said, I feel shocking. And then he said, funny enough, you do look a bit, of, a bit pale. And I said to him, can you go and get someone? And he, he nipped out, and when he came back, the nurse took one look at me, and she pulled the, the bedding back, and it was just... Yeah, just blood, and I that was when I saw it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what's happening? And then they all came in, and the hospital were fabulous. They came running in, and I remember I had a doctor talking to me really close to my face, and he was saying, come on, what's your little girl's name then? What have you called her? What did she weigh? And he was asking me all these questions. Someone else was putting some IV drips in me. Another one was kind of massaging inside me, again, which yeah. I couldn't really feel, Um, I was just kind of being moved about on the bed. One of them was with Gorka, explaining to him what had happened or what was happening. And then the last thing I remember, they wheeled me out and I remember saying to him, stay with Mia, because it went through my head that (laughs) if anything happened to me, they could bring back a different baby. And I know that's ridiculous. And at that time, I thought, "If if something happens to me, how... How do I know they're gonna give Gorka me give me to Gorka? So I kept saying to him, "Stay with her, don't let them take her. Stay with her." And he was like, "What?" And then I woke up again in another side ward with a wonderful midwife uh, called Diane.
0: Were you put to sleep again?
1: No, I wasn't put to sleep. I just kind of dozed. Yeah. It was just kind. Of, you yeah. Lost
0: half, you lost half a pint of blood though. That's yeah. You? It was. It was
1: quite a lot. Well, yeah. It was just under a pint. It was. Um, I didn't need any transfusions, which was good. Um, But the she said, when I woke up, Diane was changing my catheter, bless her. And I remember saying to her straight away, I felt so sick because of all the medication. And I said to her, I'm going to be sick. I'm so sorry. And she was like, don't worry, it's fine. And she gave me a little bowl and I threw up. And that was more embarrassing than anything, than giving birth. And being, <laughs> I don't know why, it's just the thought of being sick and a, a grown woman helping me, who I did, not normally she mates on a Friday night and that's fine. <laughs> but when it's like a professional midwife, I was so embarrassed um, and then I stayed in another two nights and then I, then I brought her home and since then she's been fine. So have I.
0: What? I just, do they know why it happened?
1: They think the pl- the blood uh, flow from the placenta, pl- from the placenta to Mia was restricted. Mm-hmm. And obviously because I wasn't high risk in my first pregnancy, the, the growth scans weren't done on the baby. I just had the regular scans that you get on the NHS. This time around, they've, they've checked the growth scan of the baby. I've had way more scans and they've checked the flow of blood from the placenta to the baby. And already, I mean, Mia was born at £4.10 and when I was around 32 weeks already, this baby was measuring at around £5.14, so £6. So he's already bigger now than what Mia was um, at full term. So this time, touch wood, fingers crossed, it should, should be okay.
0: Yeah. And like with having to have a c-section did you find that there was anything that you couldn't do that you were planning on doing that you had to like completely change your fourth trimester plan
1: yeah it was just kind of i mean it's a massive you know it's a major surgery and i remember seeing my scar and it's only like it's tiny my scar, it's so neat and so small and i said to the doctor who did it i said you, you've got it i said how did you get her out with this and she said that's just your top layer." She said, we we did a small top layer, but then we went in and we kind of prize you open. She said, so the seven layers or six layers underneath are a lot wider. So it was little things like opening the fridge. I was a bit like, oh, and kind of, you know, sitting up. It was almost like I was still pregnant. You know, when you're getting out of bed, heavily pregnant, you have to roll to your left and get yourself up. It was doing things like that. And it's surpri- well, it's not surprising for me because I I do train a lot, but you use your core for everything. Tying your hair up, carrying the washing, holding your baby, you know, driving, everything is from your core. So it was just kind of, it just delayed everything. You know, I didn't start doing any exercise till around 14, 15 weeks. And even then it was just walking with the pram. Um, I just focused on my nutrition and, you know, trying to mentally make myself feel better with good fuel, good nutrition, getting out in the garden because it was nice and sunny. And then as and when my scar stopped hurting, that's when I started doing some gentle exercise and just built myself back up.
0: You see, I always, I nearly had to have an emergency C-section as well my first baby, but I always had that fear because I'm so active. I didn't want to have a C-section because I was scared of everything that I couldn't do. Yeah. And, um, and I think as well with training, it's hard after you have a baby because you want to get out there. You want to go for walks. You want to start doing even small bits in the gym and you just, you're so compromised that you actually can't. Yeah. Um, but it must have been more difficult, obviously, having the C-section.
1: Yeah, it was It was just... kind. I mean, I've had friends who've had elective sections and they've said theirs was completely different. You know, one of my best friends, she said, oh, I had a fake tan the night before. She said, I probably shouldn't <laughs> have done. She said, but I had the best night's sleep in my life, knowing it was going to happen. Whereas with an emergency, I remember I was, like, being tugged about on the bed, so it was, you know, they were trying to get her out. And it was just the... Um, yeah, when I was feeding Mia, again, my scar kind of throbbed a bit, which they said was normal... The nurses had to come round every three days to kind of clean the stitches and check them. So, yeah, yeah, you just kind of everything. In my head, I thought I'll have have Mia, you know, have my pelvic floor checked six weeks later and then I'll be good to go. But it, it just it wasn't the case. Um, but I'm I feel kind like
0: of no birth plan is the best birth plan. That's what you yeah. told me because I did think about the bath, and then I was like, maybe I won't bother with the bath. Then it's like you have all these nice ideas. Like I wasn't listening to music either. I was just like, God, yeah, this is very full on.
1: Just just going for it, and that's what we've done this time. We've kind of they've they've said, you know, what's your, your birth plan? And I've said, oh, well, a successful one like last time because the success yeah. was I'm here and Mia's here, and, uh, and and I've said if there's a pool available on the day, I will happily use it. If it's not, but I'm open to the fact as well, I'll do whatever's best for me and the little man on the day. I'm not going to be in there saying, I don't want this and I don't want that. It's kind of whatever's the safest way to get him out and me be okay. I will 100 percent do.
0: Uh, Marie, you are, you're pregnant as well. How pregnant are
2: you? I am. (laughs) Yeah, Um, very similar gestation. Uh actually to Gemma. So I will be thirty eight weeks on Sunday, but I had my first baby at thirty seven weeks, mm-hmm. so around this time. So yeah, I'm sort of expecting him to come in the next week. It doesn't really work like that, and I know that as a midwife, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> sort of wishful thinking. As I said, just give me an hour, right? <coughs> we'll be done soon. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but, Perfect, um, thanks. But it is normal to lose blood after um after birth, even not just a C section
2: yeah absolutely so bleeding after birth is completely normal obviously what Gemma experienced the postpartum hemorrhage isn't considered to be normal um but all bleeding after birth is normal because the lining of your uterus needs to shed slightly and um it also needs to involute it's called so it's gone from being about the size of your fist to being like the size of a watermelon and perhaps bigger if you've got twins on board and it needs to go right back down into your pelvis so part of that process is kind of having those contractions after birth and your uterus doing all of that work to go back to its pre-pregnancy state because it thickens yeah. um and it gets heavier so it's really normal to bleed after birth and then not to mention all women have a dinner-sized plate wound on the inside of their uterus after having a baby where the placenta has been housed so once that comes away that leaves a big wound that needs to heal and that also causes that that bleeding after birth so it is normal to bleed fairly heavily after birth yes.
0: I always felt that because um, I never knew what I, there's so many things I didn't know about the fourth trimester before I'd had my first son and it's the contracting of the uterus where you're like what Mm. is happening with my stomach but it's actually it's what gives you the bloat mine kind of contracts quite quickly and I found when I was feeding the babies that like it was really going 90 and it's quite painful.
2: Yeah, it's, it's basically contractions and not a lot of people actually talk about that. So, so many women, you know, I've been on postnatal ward and so many women have pressed the buzz and said, I, I literally feel like I'm about to give birth again. I'm having contractions again. And I've had to explain all of this to them about their uterus going back down into their pelvis and then obviously offer them analgesia if they need it. But explaining that, because not many people do, they think you have the baby and then somehow your body bounces back. And that's just a total myth. It doesn't. It goes for a full recovery process where it's got to involute back into the pelvis. And it, is, it can be really quite uncomfortable, those after pains, as they're described.
0: Yeah. Well, you do get the blood, but you also get a discharge. It's called, is it lochia or lochia? Lochia. Lochia. Yeah. How long yeah. does that usually last for? And what does it look like for people that are freaked out? Yeah. So it looks...
2: Yeah, what is this? And also, when your midwife's like, how's your lochia? Yeah. And you're like, what on earth is that? <laughs> um, so, generally speaking, uh, similar to a period, although a lot heavier, it starts off with that kind of bright red, fresh bleeding, and you might also get some clots with that. Mm. Um do report any clots that you're concerned about to your midwife and generally they will be with you for a while or you'll be on postnatal ward um, depending on where you have your baby or the midwifery led unit. So there will be a midwife round to have a look at that initial lochia as we called it, that initial bleeding after birth. Then it tends to um, get less bright red and fresh and it starts to go to kind of like a brownie color and then it goes to like towards the end of your period like a you know a pinkish dark brown sort of dischargey loss um towards the end of your period as I say so it sh- it tends to follow that pattern and in terms of length it really does vary some women bleed for you know 10 days two weeks other women bleed for up to six weeks after birth so we're all so individual like we all experience periods differently I guess you know us three will have completely different periods to each other and it's very similar after you have your baby your body will respond differently depending on the type of birth you had um depending on you know how heavy your bleeding was after birth and um, how your body responds
0: and what causes primary or secondary um postpartum hemorrhage and what procedures do you you undertake to, to stop it
2: yeah, so uh, primary PPH as we normally refer to it as, um, there are four main causes of that. The most common cause being tone. That effect, That's around about 70% of the time it's down to tone. So that is when Gemma described earlier that they were rubbing her tummy, what they were trying to do is have a feel of the uterus and see um, how kind of tight or relaxed it is because that's the most common reason. So where, as I explained before, the uterus has done all of that stretching to accommodate your growing baby during pregnancy, which is, you know, incredible what it does just off its own accord. Um, what happens is sometimes it has a bit of difficulty, especially if it's a bit tired. You've had a long labour, you've had drugs or you've, um, for example, you've been induced and you've had that syntocin on that hormone drip again that Gemma mentioned earlier that can cause the uterus to be a bit tired. So it's a muscle like any other muscle. And what can happen is it doesn't quite contract as quickly as we'd hoped for. So then it leaves it. We sometimes refer to it as boggy. So when you touch a uterus that's well contracted, it feels like a hard round ball. And anyone that's been pregnant and felt a Braxton hitch, you'll feel your, your, your uterus actually tighten. You can feel it feels like a hard round ball. If your uterus isn't contracting, then that's what we're doing. We're touching your tummy to feel it, and it feels boggy. You can almost feel like a bouncy sensation there. Um, And that's the most common reason, that the muscle isn't doing that involuting and that contracting back down. There are some other causes, such as tissue. So sometimes there can be a bit of the placenta that's been left inside the uterus. And as a way, of the uterus trying to expel that bit of placenta, it bleeds. So it really does depend on you know those are the top two main causes but there are a couple of other things and it really does depend on the cause and um, then we will know the right course of action to treat it so if we go with tone being the most common we have lots of drugs that we can give mums that I'm sure Gemma would have received um, that helps with that contracting of the uterus there are a variation of them and it depends on what hospital you go to because there'll be slightly different policies on what um, their first line drug choices are, but generally it is syntocinon or some sort of synthetic version of oxytocin, which is the hormone that's responsible for the contraction of the uterus. If that makes sense. Yeah. So sorry, that was a lot of information <laughs> dumping, but. <laughs> Good to know,
0: though. Uh, Gemma. When yeah, you, Gemma, you obviously went through through that, which would definitely be traumatic. How did you feel when you got home emotionally? Like, did it did it affect you?
1: it kind of hit me i'd say maybe a week or so into being mia's mum and i don't know if that was just cuz perhaps sleep deprivation as well but um yeah. i kind of felt not that i'd failed at birth because obviously we were both okay but i was just so adamant that i wanted a water birth and i wanted all this stuff and the fact that it didn't happen i was a bit like oh what did i what did i do wrong why What, you know, was was I doing too much training? Was I eating too much of a certain food? Was I not doing enough exercise? You know, was I eating too many biscuits? I started questioning why it happened to me. And it was, again, that the hospital said, well, we've got all your notes. If you want us to sit and go through it, we can. And it was only speaking to them that they said, there was nothing, It was nothing you did. It's just sometimes that's how a body reacts to pregnancy. And that's, that's all it was. And they were saying, it's now your job. To, you know, you, you forget that. You move past it. Because I always wanted a sibling for Mia. But after that happened, I did say to Gorka, am I in a high percentage... am I in a high risk for that to happen again now? Because if I am, I don't know if I, we can go through that again. I said, because...
0: Yeah.
1: When you're faced with, like, when they were doing the epidural, I had to fill in a form... Uh, answering questions about blood transfusions, and one of the questions was, if it came to it, who would you the, the save, me or the, the the baby? You know, you have to fill in those questions. And I said to Gorka, when it was just me, you think, oh, it's fine, doesn't matter. I said, but now there's Mia in the picture, I don't want to be faced in a situation where something could happen to me and her be left without a mum. And that sounds so dramatic in the grand scheme of things, because, again, like Marie said, it is common after birth whether it's a section or a vaginal birth but it's only from speaking openly about it and speaking to other mums and so many people have messaged me saying they've had successful v and it's for me now knowing that every pregnancy is different and from the minute yeah. I found out I was pregnant this time it's been different. I, with Mia I didn't really have nausea, I didn't put on that much weight, it was just a bump whereas with yeah. this little man it's been sickness yeah. and sweats and oh so it's com- it's been different anyway. So I just need to mm. treat it as a completely different pregnancy, a completely different birth, and, and just yeah. go with the flow.
0: It's a good, positive yeah. way of looking at it. But did you? when did you start feeling like you were actually healing? Was it around the six-week mark or was it later?
1: Yeah, having my pelvic floor assessment really helped. I had the uh, mummy MOT, and again, they gave me a plan specifically for my uh, ab separation, for the pelvic floor strengthening. And any rehab is boring, I think, but when you're doing... Yeah rehab to heal something that you know is so important so to you important. In, in my yeah i kind of kind of viewed it as homework which in a way i it was nice when mia was sleeping i could be like right i'm going to go and do my clams now i'm going to go and do my glute bridges and you know and it was only in the living room because i wasn't clear to do it in the proper gym and stuff with other activities but it was just my little eight minutes a day where i was working on me and in between that i was trying to have nutritious food so just those little boosts of the feel-good hormone slowly started making me feel better and although I didn't look smaller like it took me a good while to kind of look how I did pre uh, pregnancy yeah. I didn't really care about that because I I felt good and that's what yeah. again this time what I'm going to focus on as long as I feel okay you know the, the body takes so long to, to heal internally I think even with a Vaginal birth, my midwife said to me, there's still a recovery with a vaginal birth. It's just different from a C-section birth. She said, but there is still recovery and repair to, to take place. So you have to give yourself some slack.
0: Yeah, what I find yeah. really interesting was that like I had three vaginal births and I thought that like my pelvic floor would be way worse than someone who had a c-section but actually the baby is still placed on your pelvic floor the whole time so when you have a c-section birth you really have to look after it like i did that i don't know if either of you did it the squeezy app with the nhs Mm -hmm. it's like it's so boring but you just you have to do it and it's like that was my one huge concern is like look after your pelvic floor make sure that gets back to as well as it can because i think that Like, I get people mailing me being like, I can't go running anymore, I can't do this. And it's like, you just, that's the worst. You would just want to just be able to, and there are loads of things that you can do to to really help it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's such an issue for women, in fact. Um, 50% of women that have had babies have have some sort of incontinence later on in life. Yeah. And you think about that statistic, it's really unbelievable. And sometimes there's this sort of normalisation of it of like, Oh, this is just what happens to your body after you have a baby, and it's not true. Yeah. Or sometimes, you know, people like, yeah, laugh it off, or, um, or they just won't talk about it because they're so embarrassed. And I think perhaps the generation before us weren't talking about it as much, but it's amazing that so many women now, and especially women like the both of you, are talking about these kinds of things because it helps to really tackle these taboos around women's healthcare, and it helps to empower the next generation to really understand their bodies better. Like, I just find it incredible that that many women have you know, these kinds of problems later on in life and we're not educating women properly. So thanks so much for mentioning that and the pelvic floor yeah. because it is so, so important. I always
0: think get your pal a present of a mummy MOT for after they've given birth. Mm. Don't get yes. their nails, yeah. don't get their hair. This is Yeah, something or a will, baby grow. Yeah, I yeah. will appreciate this the most. Speaking of things, okay, Gemma, your book, you had a hilarious anecdote in it and it was about going to the poo, trying to go for a poo and the health visitor rings the oh. doorbell. God. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah. No, See, again, no one told me. I felt like I was birthing another child out of my bum with that first poo. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're yeah. so oh. scared,
0: though. You're in the toilet. You're like, oh, God. Yeah. Oh
1: God. Well, I went. I said to my mom, I, th- I, th- I said, I think I'm ready. I think I'm going to go and have my first poo. So she was like, oh, brilliant. And because I'd had obviously a lot of pain relief as well um, from the section, I, I went to the toilet and I sat down. And as I started, I thought, ooh this is going to be a bit more of a challenge. And then I heard the door go, and I thought, oh, my gosh, who's this? And my mum answered it, and I heard my mum say, oh, hiya, come on in, and it was the health visitor. And meanwhile, I'm in the next room, and I've got one hand on the sink, one hand on the door, just kind of going, (laughs) come on, you can do this. And I must have been in there a good 25 minutes, and I was rocking, I was doing all this stuff. Finally had my first poo, which was very disappointing. It was just like a prune. (laughs) After all that. And when I walked back in, I was a bit sweaty. And the health visitor straight away said to me, she said, have you done your first poo? And I went, yeah. I doesn't it really, really hurt? She said, don't worry, it's completely normal. And again, she then told me about it. Um... And, and, and said yeah it is quite a challenge for some women after and I, do, I, I kind of feel like you, you think to yourself oh I've not been through enough carrying a baby it's like you were saying about the bleeding after it's like you have nine months of no periods and it's joyous and then you have the yeah. biggest period of your mm-hmm. life it's like oh come on yeah. give us a break. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Marie how come, how come it is so hard for some people mm. after after giving birth to to go to the toilet like why do you get constipated?
2: Yeah so you get constipated as well during pregnancy and one of the ways that I and that can obviously affect you postnatally but there are a few reasons so one of the ways that I often describe it is due to progesterone all of the other hormones that are released um, during pregnancy your bowel movements go from like normal car driving down the motorway to coach up a hill like everything really slows down and that can cause constipation um so it's the same that those hormones are still floating around your body for some time after you have a baby so that can impact the postnatal period so I often gear women up and say let's try and prevent constipation antenatally so before you've had the baby around the gestation that Gemma, Gemma and I are so around the 37 38 week mark you really want to start looking at ways to help you with a bowel motion and or going for a poo (laughs) um and so that's that's one thing to kind of like try and tackle it and get ahead of it and then the other thing is um if you have different drugs during birth so opioid-based drugs can cause constipation so that is is a really common one and the other reason is as well if you've had a c-section you're obviously slightly less mobile than if you've had a vaginal birth not always depending you know you can have quite a difficult vaginal birth that does maybe um impact your mobility but with a c-section you do have your mobility impacted so you you move less so it's the same with the with with the gut like less physical movement and and less internal movement Um, and often you are sort of sat in that bed for quite some time yeah so it can be it it can be down to those few things hormonal and also the the drugs that you have during labor and after birth and then um not moving as much those are the most kind of common reasons you
0: kind of want to be like careful of hemorrhoids as well, because that can happen during pregnancy, but it can also happen after birth. I've got four now.
1: Oh, no. I've got four. I've not even pushed oh. yet, and I've got four. It's like, what's that about? I don't, I don't understand why.
0: <laughs> how can we get rid of them for a <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really
2: great question, and I will be 100% honest with you. There's not one, like, magical cure. They are just nasty little intruders. I love how you count it. You know that there's four. Yeah, I made Gorka count them. I love
1: that. Ro- keeping the romance <laughs> alive. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. count these. <laughs> <laughs> but going back, I mean, Yuri, you know, but my midwife said it's the obviously it's just the pressure. The pressure, um, that's it. Because obviously, because yeah. Mia was small, so I didn't have mm. as much pressure. But everything down there is quite yeah. inflamed, front and back. But yeah. again, that's you can normal. Get is swollen.
2: it? That's normal. Yeah, you can get a swollen labia. You can get hemorrhoids. Some women even get varicose veins as well oh, wow. on their labia. Um, yeah, oh my God, it can I cause did, all kinds. Actually, yes, you did. Got yeah, one. yeah. Really? Yeah. Was it uncomfortable?
0: I just felt like that whole area was uncomfortable for my last pregnancy. I used to go into my doctor and be like, please look, like this can't be right. And she was like, no, it is. And it's mad because it just goes back to normal then. But at the time you're like, it's never going to look the same ever. Well, I'm hoping mine goes back
1: to normal because it will. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it will. It absolutely will. But I mean, the key things I think for avoiding hemorrhoids are all the stuff that people just normally talk about. But ultimately, as I say, there's no magic secret to it because a lot of it is down to hormones and the weight of the baby and you can't escape both of those things during pregnancy but yeah. what you can do is avoid constipation because of course that increases hemorrhoids the other thing is for sitting for long periods of time um on like hard surfaces so ideally you'd sit on a birthing ball for example because that's just that little bit softer so that supports um everything down below a bit better including your pelvic floor your back so it's a great one for pregnant women in general yeah
0: and what about the perineum like we're all told to do those yeah perineum and massages and I just I, yeah. I, I couldn't bring myself yeah. to do it but someone I got really good advice there's a thing called an epino I don't know if you've ever heard it and it's kind of like a balloon and you mm-hmm. basically put it inside you, you you do your pelvic floor exercises and that and it kind of it almost prepares you for birth. now I was lucky that I didn't tear but some people tear quite badly and, and why is that and how can they prevent it
2: Yes so tearing is common during birth it affects around about 70% of women but a lot of women actually don't even know so it sounds awful when you say that statistic but a lot of women during birth they, they aren't aware that they've torn they feel that burning kind of stretching sensation and tears can range from being very minor to like little grazes right up to third degree tears so the most important things that you can that you can really do to prevent it are really understanding how the body labors and what happens to all of those tissues and how to encourage those tissues to stretch. So, for example, everyone would, you know, you would think naturally the best position for you to be in to give birth would be for your legs to be wide open and for you to be pushing with your legs wide open, when in fact having your knees slightly tilted inwards is actually helpful. And the reason that that's helpful is because it reduces that pressure on the perineum. Mm -hmm. So you're not pulling, where you're pulling your legs apart is increasing that pressure um, and that women will naturally, as the baby's head is crowning, I remember seeing this as a student midwife thinking, why is she closing her legs? She's about to give birth. And because I, I, you know, I, I didn't fully understand how physiology works and how birth works. So I remember thinking, like, what, what is going on with these women? I keep seeing them shutting their legs as their babies are being born and actually it's a natural defence mechanism that you, um, that's inbuilt really, that you will, you will naturally assume and you'll naturally start closing your legs and it's for that reason if you don't have an epidural, so that's only really if you have a, an unmedicated birth which lots of women don't have unmedicated births, but yeah. if you don't then you will naturally use that as a defence mechanism so position during labour is really important and then like any other tissue it's hydration is important so uh, internal hydration so make sure that you know you've been drinking fluids during labor And external as well. So sometimes a warm compress on the perineum. There's a lot of research to demonstrate that this reduces perineal trauma in general. Um, So that can be a really important one. And simply as well, listening to your body if you are able to. Um, We now know that directed pushing, so what you might see on the movies of, you know, a woman lying on her back and everyone's around her going, push, 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 push. Actually, that's not supportive to prevent perineal trauma. What we should be doing is allowing those, if possible, if the baby's not in distress, it's a bit of a different story if the baby's particularly distressed and we need the baby to be born quite quickly... But unless there's a complication, actually allowing those tissues to stretch is the best thing that you can do for your perineum. And it is a really intense sensation if you don't have an epidural. And if you do have an epidural, great, even better. Just allow those tissues to stretch nicely on their own rather than rush to get the baby out, which is kind of what we used to think was the best thing to do. But we now know better
0: to listen to your midwife as well. I really found that, like the midwife and the doctor, just being like, do it just a little cough and like just like things yes. you would never expect. You're like you're just expecting yeah. to push really hard, but if you look after it, it it can really help you. Um, Gemma, yeah. did you did you breastfeed Mia? Uh,
1: yes, I I did breastfeed. I did about nine weeks with her. Um yeah. It I found it quite tough because she was quite well because she was small. She was cluster feeding, so it was kind of like every. Two hours maximum, two hours 15 minutes. She wanted a feed and it was just little and often. And again, with each feed, my, my scar area hurt. It was like a throbbing kind of pain. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I did about nine weeks with her and then I decided to switch to bottle after that.
0: I feel like your boobs just get so big and like painful. And I don't know, did you ever have mastitis during it or anything? Yes. Yeah, it was awful. Similar. And it was
1: actually. My mum froze some cabbage leaves, and it was the nicest <laughs> sensation putting frozen cabbage. But I, it was only really painful for around three days, and it was like there were like yeah. a road map just full of veins.
0: Yeah. Um, mm. And again, they
1: they went back down, thankfully. But with this one, they I've just go away on its own. Sizes, yeah, it just went by itself. They they said if yeah. you, if I can persevere with it, it will just pass, and it did.
0: Yeah. Oh. Did you get anything else? Like, I remember going home and I remember being told that I would go home and go to bed and you're like, you might have to change your sheets because they'll be soaking with sweat. But like, I couldn't believe how much <laughs> I was sweating after, after giving birth. Did you get that?
1: Yes. Um, I got, the sweats were kind of, yeah, really bad. And also the the boob leakage, even when I wasn't feeding, no, no. I'd wake up in the morning and just kind of had these like light brown patches where I'd been lay.
0: Um, which again, no one
1: told me about.
0: No, and then you get the, the, like, so your hair is so gorgeous and amazing during pregnancy and then every time, it falls out. Just all falls out at the front and that's just Mm -hmm. a natural thing. So, after birth, we're obviously feeling super sexy and sweaty and balding. (laughs) (laughs) Is it, Marie, this is for you, is having uh, sex safe after giving birth, but like, like, how long after should you wait? Mm -mm.
2: Yeah, uh, so this is a really common question that actually couples ask me, sort of like almost like on the quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, is it okay to have? And I'm like, yeah, let's that, that, let's talk about. It. It's fine. You haven't got to hide it or whisper. Know. <laughs> most couples have sex. Um, but you'll see everywhere that I mean, if you Google it, everywhere says six weeks. Yeah. But I really disagree with giving a specific timeline. And the reason that I disagree with that is because everyone is different, as we've already chatted about. And once you give someone almost like a deadline, we're so used to working to deadlines now, like we have apps on our phone where we can see our food that's going to arrive at the door within 10 yeah. minutes and whatever else. Um. So we're so used to having these kinds of set deadlines that once we start to approach six weeks, women can start to feel a lot of pressure to feel a certain way, to feel like they should be ready to have sex. And I think having that pressure alone is actually the worst thing that you can do in the bedroom because it just makes it so unnatural so I never say to couples a set timeline I always say it's really important to just give yourself time to heal and recover both physically and emotionally I mean like you said there's a lot going on with your body you know there's there's so many changes and not to mention the emotional shift of becoming a mum like whether it's your first or fifth baby you're still going through a huge transition there's massive changes in the dynamic of your family and sometimes you know women are up for it fairly early early doors at six weeks even at four weeks i've looked after women that are you know feeling ready
0: yeah but i feel a a lot of women lose their sex drive after giving birth and how would you say is best to to navigate that with their partner like just being honest with them i mean any understanding partner will realize that like you've just been through a really big thing with your body and you mightn't be ready to to have sex straight away. And after six weeks, I really like that you don't tell people that because it does kind of put a deadline on it, like, okay, we're gonna have sex in six weeks. See you on Saturday mm. 24th <laughs> at six o'clock. <laughs> <gone> yeah. Now.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it, exactly. And I think communication is key in relationships in general, and especially when you become parents, because we know that parents argue or couples argue during that first year of their baby's life more than any other time and unfortunately quite a lot of relationships actually break down after having a baby and that's not to say you know I don't want to scare anyone but it's just to be open and honest and talk about it because it's such a problem um, for parents I think to navigate that time and to really get to know each other as parents because you might know someone inside out but you might not know them as a parent and it does it is even more so with the first baby um, that we kind of see those big changes in the Relationship, but I, again, as I mentioned before, that dynamic just keeps changing throughout depending on how many children that you have. So, starting with good communication. from all elements whether that be can you help me can you fill the dishwasher I need you to do this and being vocal about exactly what it is that you need from your partner is a great tool to have in your locker as early as possible as you enter into parenthood and especially when it comes to the bedroom like you don't have to jump straight into having sex there are a few things like you know whatever you find turns you on whatever gets you in the mood like you know I love having massages I'm a really tactile touchy-feely person I've always got my hands over my friends and you know so for me that actually makes me feel really calm and relaxed that's not the case for everyone you know some people hate having massages you know what you like you know what you want so sometimes it can be just starting with those baby steps and communicating that with your partner and saying look you know what I'm not really feeling up for having sex but could you give me a massage and starting off with those things The other thing is, if you've had a vaginal birth, so many women are terrified of what they look like, what that looks like down below. Sometimes it feels 10 times worse than it actually looks. So it might feel to you like it almost like your vagina doesn't belong to you. Um, But actually, when you have a look in the mirror, it isn't that bad. It just feels a lot worse than it really is. So sometimes just having a look at yourself. And then I always say as well, before you go into having sex or any kind of sexual activity if you've had a vaginal birth or even if you've had a c-section as well because as you mentioned before that can cause um, pelvic floor changes and slightly weakened pelvic floor just having a feel yourself with down below having a feel of what everything feels like but especially if you have had a vaginal birth because then you'll know oh that's a bit sore and uncomfortable over there and so you don't need to get to a stage where your partner's got their fingers in you or you're having sex and you're like this is actually really uncomfortable because you've felt you've had a feel around yourself and if you do have a scar there so say you have had a tear we spoke about earlier it is quite common If you have had a tear, there's loads of research to show that actually massaging that area can really help with healing as well. So you might want to want to start that. But yeah, what I would say is all of those things, just communicating, looking at your body, understanding your body, supporting it to heal and accepting that you are where you are rather than trying to push yourself to be somewhere else, because that's only going to cause you stress.
0: Yeah. And I know that we don't like to put a timeline on things, but the NHS has put like a six week timeline on women exercising yeah. after birth. But, Gemma, you said you waited till, is it 13 or 14 weeks? Yeah.
1: Like yeah, it's been
0: really tough.
1: Yeah, I, I waited a bit longer just because part of me didn't feel like it. I was just enjoying the newborn bubble. I just kind of loved being in the garden. And because, like I say, because I, I was focusing on nutritious foods. I still felt good anyway Mm. and then when I did start it was just like nice long walks with the pram I just kind of my mind frame went to the gym's always going to be accessible even if it's in my living room doing squats and whatever but this newborn stage it just went so quick every single week she looked different or did something different and I just didn't want to miss any kind of they're not milestones are they but I just thought I know what to do when I start training again. I know how to, yeah. you know, get my strength back and hit my PBs again. But I just didn't want to miss any of the kind of being with her, just just enjoying it, really. And I think part of that was because of what happened, I felt so lucky for us both to just be here that the, the, the yeah. kind of last thing on my mind was was the snap back phase. But when I did start exercising and the endorphins started coming, I was like, right... You know, I I do yeah. want to do it now. I want to I want to get
0: going with it. You do have to look out for in the fourth trimester. Okay, you're probably going to know the proper word a diastasis recti. Diastasis recti. Diastasis yeah. recti. Basically, when well, your abdominal muscles split down the middle. But like you, because obviously they stretch when your tummy goes out. But um, did you did did you get that, Gemma?
1: Yes. Well, the mummy M L T told me I had a two centimeter one, which she said yeah. isn't that. She said some women get up to 10 mm-hmm. centimetres, which I must be just,
0: you. yeah. 10 and cent? How would can you, can you knit it back 10 centimetres?
1: Well, I th- I'm assuming so. I mean, there's lots, the, the pelvic floor lady I have said, there's always stuff you, c- you can do. She says, we obviously normalise maxi pads as opposed to re-strengthening your pelvic floor. She says, and it mm-hmm. drives them mad. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it'll t- it's rehab, it takes time, it's specific exercises, but, Obviously, Marie, you'll know a lot of women, I I never can answer it because I'm not qualified, but I have women in the 50s and saying their kids are now like 20, 30 years old. Is it too late for them? But I don't think it's ever Mm. too late to rehab your your pelvic floor and core, is it?
2: No, I mean, the optimal time, the sooner the better, depending on when you feel ready. And it's important always to listen to your body, of course. But it's never too late to support your body to heal from birth. And even my mum has had issues that I've actually supported her with to help her heal from my birth like 30 years down the line, you know. So it's never too late. That
0: is the good news. Yeah. And I think it's a constant thing with women. I think that you always have to think of your pelvic floor and always look after it Mm -hmm. because it's like a muscle that has to be trained. Um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly well this is for both of you, do you feel that your body has changed permanently since having your babies, your first babies?
2: I would say yes, mm-hmm. I feel that personally my body did change a lot after I had um, my daughter and like the both of you I enjoy my exercise and I'm very active and um, I'm very in tune with my body as well, and what's going on with my body. Uh, so It took me a lot less, I think, to heal after birth because I was very fortunate with my first baby to have a home birth and have no complications um and kind of that idealistic birth you might or might not see on instagram for example um I did have one of those so however as I mentioned your body every nobody escapes the postpartum period no one escapes the fourth, fourth trimester and the hormonal fluctuations and the bleeding and so yeah my body did change but I had a really a really good recovery and similar to Gemma this pregnancy I'm carrying a boy as well um and this pregnancy has been completely different like the opposite my body has I thought my body changed my my first baby and now I'm looking at myself and I look like a completely different person <laughs> I've gained a lot more fluid with this pregnancy on average you gain around about 6.5 to 8 litres of extra fluid wow. during pregnancy so wow. it's you know that's, that's a lot of extra fluid anyway um but I feel like I'm more close getting closer to the to the 8 litre mark to be honest with you because I just feel this fluid everywhere taking over um and it's yeah it's 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 not very pleasant to be honest but
0: no and what about you Gemma
1: yeah definitely I mean Mia's Mia actually asked me the other day I was sat in the bath and she said mummy will your boobs still be dead low when you, my brother's out <laughs> and I was like yeah they probably will be not in a bra but out of a bra they will still be low it's like I've got three belly buttons um, but yeah it has changed but again like Marie said even more I feel like The body's very good. It's great muscle memory, isn't it? And so I think Mm. once you've Mm. had one baby, second time around, it grows quicker. It says, oh, I remember this. I'll do it quicker this time. And I was showing a lot earlier this time than I was first time around. But Mm. I feel like the changes, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's kind of, you know, a few little stretch marks here and there. I've got a permanent scar on my my pelvic uh, bone, obviously, from my C-section. But for me, it's kind of changed because I've grown and birthed a beautiful little girl. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like pregnant women, have we've not let ourselves go or kind of stopped caring about mm-hmm. our health. It's like we've brought life into the world and it's a privilege mm-hmm. denied to many. So I think I, the, the changes that have occurred, I've accepted and embraced and I, I wouldn't change it at
0: all. And that's kind of one of the like nice things of the fourth trimester that you've like, brought this amazing into your life and your life will always be changed for the better and I think that although there's so many negative sides to the fourth trimester there's so many positive ones that just outweigh
1: it yeah, yeah and your baby thinks yeah, you're the exactly. best thing in the world anyway yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah, that's, they don't care yeah, do they I was-
2: that's exactly what I was going to say to you, uh, to your baby, you are not a person, you're a whole place, like you're just everything to them and they, they don't care, you know, what you look like, as long as you've got that, you're providing that kind of warmth and that security for them and building that bond that takes time. They do not give a damn. And me, me, it's funny saying that to you. They say the funniest (laughs) things, don't they? The most unflattering, but then at the same time, they just steal your heart ten minutes later by telling you, Mama, you're gorgeous or whatever it
1: is. I I said to her, I said below, because I fed you with them. She was like, what? I said, "Yes, it's your fault they're like this.
0: (laughs) Um, Marie, in your experience as a midwife and as a mum, what's the one aspect of the fourth trimester that you think is most overlooked um, or underplayed that play? But it does have a big impact
2: so great question I have just written all about this um, in my second book I have a whole chapter on the fourth trimester and how important it is to really whole body heal and recover so during pregnancy and during birth your body goes through so much it's one of the biggest tasks that the human body will ever perform and it's perfect perfectly capable of doing so but what's really important is that recovery process and that's often overlooked in our modern day lifestyle where you know there's that big myth about bouncing back that we spoke about earlier And I think it's just really important for mums to know that it's okay to slow down, it's okay to rest, it's okay to recover, and it's also okay and, in fact, advisable to ask for help, like you know when your visitors come ask them to unload or load the dishwasher and ask them for things that you actually need like often they'll bring a baby grow because they don't really know what to bring or they'll show up with flowers and both of those things are lovely but they don't actually contribute to your whole body healing rest and recovery so i think that's the yeah that's the the most important thing really for mums to take away is to focus during the fourth trimester on those things exactly
0: you don't pressurize yourself into trying to bounce back as everyone says um It's such a stupid term because I just don't think that anyone can do that after such a like a long period of being pregnant and then giving birth. But um, both of you now are pregnant for the second time and it's always a little bit different the second time around. And you are on this podcast talking about the fourth trimester and you're about to go through all of this again. So has it helped you or has it freaked you out a little bit? I think it's
1: it's definitely helped me. I mean, it kind of, I always think speaking to other women or other mums, it's it reminds you to lower your expectations of yourself, which I think especially in the fourth trimester, you're like your bottles might be sterilised, but the pile of washing's not done and that's okay. Yeah. Or the pile of washing's done, but your hair's not been washed and that's okay. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, like Marie said, it's about accepting help and it's exciting as well to know that it's going to all happen again, um, but with a completely new experience and a new baby and new chaos and new mess but like we've done previously we'll we'll get through it again and everything's a phase as well with with motherhood I've found um the teething phase when you think they're never going to sleep and the potty training when you think they're never going to be able to do it They, they they do in their own time in their own little weird and wonderful way and I think that's what makes motherhood so special
0: yeah it is exciting and I, th- I think that I wish I'd known all this before I'd had my first baby but I didn't have a clue about anything in the fourth trimester so thank you for sharing your experiences as well it was lovely to chat. Thank you, lovely for you as well. And we're going to have to wrap things up there. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Gemma Atkinson and Marie-Louise. I know you'll have made everyone listening feel really seen and heard and best of all, reassured. Good luck to you both with your own upcoming fourth trimesters. Remember, you are experts at this now. You've got it sorted. For any expecting or new parents listening, Boots has an incredible range of products for you and your baby. My expert midwife range has everything from nipple bands to perennial recovery soak. You can also find maternity bras, breast pumps as well as utilise the Boots Parenting Club scheme. There are also mental health support services, including the Boots support room therapy service. There are also mental health support services via the Boots online doctor. And remember, you can always call your GP for both physical and mental health advice. Also, if you are concerned about pre or postnatal depression, please check out our episode specifically on that subject in series three. The show notes for that episode highlight designated support services that will be able to help. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe because it really helps us get the word out. Until next time, goodbye.